she can't, she shouldn't, she's too young, she's too smart for her own good, she's too disruptive, she's too brash, she's too bold, too audacious, too persistent, she took too long, she should just give it up, she can't succeed. Teacher Appreciation Week. Arguably one of the most important weeks in the United States' calendar year. Yes, we have Mother's and Father's Day and Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but who cares about civil rights when we're talking about our teachers? They're the most important people in our lives. In all seriousness, though, our teachers are incredibly important, and we really, really, really do appreciate them. They lay the foundation for our society. Everything starts with teachers. You can't become a doctor or a lawyer if you didn't have a teacher beforehand. Often, people that are the highest in their fields go back to teaching. We have Maya Angelou, one of the most renowned poets of modern day. She went back to go teach at Wake Forest University. Angela Davis, another very prominent civil rights activist, philosopher, and author, taught ethnic studies at San Francisco University from at least 1980 to 1984, and then in 1991 to 2008 went to work in the Feminist Studies Department at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and Rutgers University. Then we have Anita Hill, lawyer, a very good lawyer. Not only is she an incredible lawyer, she also bravely stood up to the U.S. Supreme Court and told her story about Clarence Thomas's sexual harassment. Not gonna lie, it took me a really long time to be able to say Clarence Thomas. His name is like a tongue twister. So we have these incredibly well-known, incredible teachers, but what about just the regular people who are working with elementary school kids or disabled students or high schoolers who do not want to be there. These people really are on the front lines and they really are important to our society. Yet, based on the salary that many teachers make in the United States, it's hard to see that they are that important. The median salary of an elementary school teacher is 58,230 with the lowest paid 25% being an average of 46,120. For high school, it's not really that much more. The median is 60,320 with the lowest paid being on average 47,980. Sure, this could seem like a lot of money, but when some states only pay their teachers $30,000, teachers are barely making a livable wage, often having to pay out of pocket for school supplies and things to support their students, especially in low-income areas. Professors tend to make more. According to the American Association of University Professors, on average, professors make $104,820, but they can also make over half a million and more if they negotiate well. And as I said, they often have other jobs on the side. So the figures that I talked about earlier can seem like a lot of money, 50000 60000 100000 but when this is just the cap for what teachers are allowed to make, when the people that they are teaching go on to start at the same salaries when they begin their jobs, there is obviously a problem. We are basically saying as a society that teachers don't matter that much, 
And we're not encouraging other people to join this field because at the end of the day, most people look for comfort and money. And when those are the basic foundations of our society, especially as a capitalist economy, people are not going to go for the 30000 to 60000 paying job. They're going to go for the $200,000 jobs and up. Here we are as a society amidst a global pandemic expecting teachers in one to two weeks to completely switch their entire curriculum from an in-person curriculum to an online curriculum. A lot of private schools and universities even having to accommodate people across the world and in different time zones. Significantly different time zones. Then you have the added hardship of making sure that every student has access to their education because not every student is able to have a computer or have an iPad or have a phone to complete their schoolwork in a, in a timely manner or even easily. Given this hardship, I wanted to be able to interview the people on the front lines, the people who are going through this day to day, trying to be teachers through this really difficult process and making sure that all of their students are getting the same quality education that they were before this pandemic and while they were at school. I will be interviewing two educators who are on the front lines of teaching during this pandemic. These interviews are going to be long, so just sit tight because they're really, really, really interesting. And what they say is really important. Here is the first. Can you please introduce yourself and say what grade you teach and what you teach and where? My name is Amanda Martinez. I teach in Queens, New York. Currently, I teach first grade math and science. How long have you been teaching? I've been teaching for about five years, but this is my second year in the Department of Ed, in the DOE. What was the transition like to online learning? Like, what was the process? How did your school kind of prepare you for that? Honestly, it was very difficult. Mm -hmm. So we we found out that we weren't going to come back to school for a few weeks. So we literally had three days to get ready for online teaching. And we didn't really know what that would look like. And so we spent three full days without the kids. We were in the school building. We were going to workshops. We were having people come in and show us how to use certain websites. Um, But honestly, after those three days, we still left knowing that we weren't ready for this. And it was going to be something very difficult. The first week of remote learning was probably the worst week so far. Um, The parents, we expected a lot from them. And I guess we didn't realize the pressure we were putting on them. We were just so concerned with the students not falling behind in their academic career. So we as educators were just trying to make sure that their day still felt like a regular school day. Do you, have you guys changed anything so far since that first week that has helped you or your students be a little bit more productive and better about this whole online learning? Yeah, so after the first week when we got reactions from the parents that it was um, becoming very difficult for them to do all the work we were assigning, then we had to take a step back and say, okay, what is the most important things we want these students to be learning right now. We had to get rid of the extracurricular stuff and just focus on the main overarching standards and just making sure that they were getting just the general education that they needed for that year. So we cut back on a lot of assignments and we just gave assignments that we thought were, I guess, more important and what they needed in order to continue to be successful while they're at home. 
So that was a big change, just cutting back on the work. You saw that parents were giving a lot of feedback and being very like vocal about how they were transitioning through this as well. Right. And it was, uh, it was very difficult because a lot of these parents were, they were still working. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have anyone that would was able to sit with the kids and get them on the computer throughout the day. I remember one parent reached out to me personally and said, you know, I'm an essential worker and I'm just dropping my kids off at whatever family member is available for the day. So we had to take those things into consideration and say, okay, well, we, we, we have to work this out and figure out a way to make, make you guys get to be able to do the work, but also take care of everyday things that you need to take care of. So yeah, they have been very vocal. And we, on the other hand, have been very, we, had, we have to be very understanding and flexible what, what we're doing. Yeah. And definitely like being in New York City is so different than like the rest of the world and how it's been hit is so different. Do you think that's had like a really big impact as well? It is. It's, it's funny because when all of this happened, we just assumed that this was only going to be for a few weeks. So we, we weren't thinking, oh, we were going to be doing this till the end of the school year. So when it started, when we started watching the news and we saw like this is progressively getting worse, we started freaking out. And again, we had to adjust and change everything to make sure that not only are we giving the students what they need, but we need to be there for them socially. Because in New York, I could say about half of my population, the parents are still working. Mm -hmm. um, they're essential workers. They have two, three different jobs. You know how New Yorkers are. They have at least three sources of income because it's just difficult to live out here mm -hmm. without money coming in. One thing about New Yorkers that I can't come to realize is that we're really stubborn. So when they're on the news and they're talking about how serious this is, we as New Yorkers weren't taking it as seriously as we should. People were still going out every day. People were still at the parks. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're out with masks, but they're literally not following social distancing. So all of that in combination, New York as a whole and what New York goes through and New Yorkers themselves has a lot to do with the way the students are receiving their education. Um, but on the bright side, I just found out some statistics. There is, There has actually been 85% of New York students have been doing online remote learning. They've been actually participating in doing the work. So I think that is a great number. 85 percent I mean not 100 but compared to and taken but also take into consideration the amount of students that live in shelters or are homeless and school is their their homes for eight hours or six hours a day and now these students are expected to do online remote learning but they they might not even have like a place to live so I think that's where we have to draw the line somewhere, like what is actually acceptable and what are we penalizing them for, for not doing the assignments, for handing them in late. It's just a mess. And we're still trying to figure it out, I think. Yeah. And how have, how has New York City and the school district combated this issue of students not being able to access either because of their homelessness or because they don't have access to Wi-Fi? How have they tried to work around this so that these students are still being supported? So um, when I talk about New York, New York, I'm talking about the Department of Education, which is like the city. So um, when I speak, I'm not, I don't know what like upstate New York, if with their education system, if they're doing anything different. But for us, we had about 300,000 iPads 
that were given to students, they went online and they applied for it, mm-hmm. which doesn't make sense to me because how do they get online? But <laughs> that's, all, that's a whole nother question. I don't know. Maybe they used the cell phone, whatever. They went online or they called and they applied for it. But getting those iPads took about three to four weeks. And mm-hmm. by that time, they were already so so much behind. So mm-hmm. that's one way that um, we combated that issue. But there are still so many students that don't have access. And I think it just comes down to we are it's not going to penalize their grades, I guess. They can either pass or they can improve at this point. Because what that's not fair. We can't blame those students who are living in shelters for not getting on and completing assignments. It's just unrealistic. If this continues to next year, hopefully it doesn't, but if it does, how do you think like you will prepare or even just your school or the Department of Education in general? I think um, with my school and with my school in general, I'll start there. We have so many tech savvy people. Um, We have at least four technology teachers and they have been so amazing and like researching different programs and then getting on Zoom or Google Meets and showing us how to use these programs. So I think in order to prepare, if this continues in the future, we would have to really become tech savvy because Mm -hmm. there's so much that you can do on the computer. And I know like my older coworkers have no idea how to like share their screen more or less like record themselves videoing, uh, (laughs) teaching. It's, it's very difficult. So that's one thing for sure is being able to manipulate and all these amazing resources and use the technology the way it should be. Personally, that's how I would um, prepare because I love technology. Like I'm always interested in like the latest things and what's interactive for the kids because we want it to be fun also while teaching. Um, And another big thing, we have to be emotionally educated, I guess, on how to talk to these students because like I have the little ones, you know, they just came out of kindergarten seeing their teacher all day was a routine for them and now they're they're home all day and it's a lot of emotions going on they don't know what's going to happen a lot of my students have anxiety mm-hmm. so besides like preparing with the curriculum i think we also need to prepare ourselves um by becoming aware of those emotional problems that might happen and how to address them and i think the department of education should take that into consideration as well and i mean there's a lot of political stuff that we have to we have to take into account like graduation regions mm-hmm. it's just it's just it's ridiculous to even think that this one might last another year but we don't know yeah it's scary did they cancel your standardized test for the year Yes, all of the state tests were canceled. Regences were canceled. So, and there's still every day it's something new. We're getting emails with the new changes. So, they're really just taking it as it goes and they're really trying their best. I can honestly say that they are, but no one was prepared for this. So, it's not like they could, you know, go back and say, oh, let's, you know, try it this way because this happened before. This has never happened before. So, literally, everyone is just like pulling things out of the air. So yeah, they got rid of the state exams for ELA and math. I know they got rid of all the regences or postponed it. They even talked about maybe giving those tests in the summer, but nothing's really set in stone yet. Kind of circling back to emotions, has this been discouraging for you as a teacher or like your coworkers at all where they feel like this is too overwhelming and 
Yeah, I feel like I've had mixed opinions from everyone. Um, me personally, I love doing the videos and posting it online, but I miss the social interaction, the face to face, the hugs, just simple things, just the smile from the kids. Those things I think were really, really valuable and we took took it for granted. Um, and I feel like that's really what these kids need. And I think that's what teaching is all about. So doing this over the computer all day and the kids are sitting at home distracted by every little thing they're not getting like the full gist of what education really is supposed to be and I'm nervous for like the new students like the new kindergartners they're going to get used to this as like an education system like this is what school is I'm on the computer all day and I could take a break and I can go to my room and then when it's time for, for them to actually go into like a real school setting it's going to be like a shit show <laughs> Wow, that's I never even thought about that because I was I was going to ask you like do you think online learning will have a negative effect given that this yeah. will be the foundational years for these kids. Kindergartners even now, some of them this is their first experience in school mm-hmm. and they only had from September to March really mm-hmm. to understand what school's like and I don't think that was enough time for them. So then they have to now adjust to online learning and I, I just feel bad for them. <laughs> I think it's really it's emotionally traumatizing and not to be too dramatic, but I do think it's going to have an effect emotionally and develop me, develop me socially also, because how are they interacting with other kids now? They're just, well, because they have to quarantine, but it's going to be a mess when this lifts and they do have to be in like a social situation. And do you think that your students actually understand what's happening? Did you guys have like a day where you just kind of talked about what this is, how it's affecting them? Yes. Um, We actually started talking to the students right before we went on lockdown Mm -hmm. because right the the weeks leading up to it, it was all over the news. The kids knew about it. They were coming to school talking about it. So we had to address it as a school. So um, there's actually this website called Brain Pop. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's for kids and it's like all these informational videos. So they actually came out with one about the coronavirus. We showed it to the students and the little ones, um, I guess their big takeaway was germs. We need to be mindful. We need to wash our hands, which is what they learn in kindergarten. So they're just like, oh, we do that already. Um, they didn't really understand that like this is a life-threatening disease. The older kids um, totally understood it. They were saying, they were relating um, the coronavirus to like the plague. <laughs> so they, they were aware of how dangerous it was. And some of them, was, they were a little worried. The, the two weeks right before we actually shut down, a bunch of our parents started taking their kids out of school. So before we even went into lockdown, yeah, we had a good amount of parents email and say, you know, we're really worried about the virus. It's spreading so quickly um, in other states. Before it even came to New York, mm-hmm. these parents were worried and they took their kids out. And then eventually we locked out two weeks later. So, yeah, we were able to address it. And the parents were very honest with their student, with their child. It was all over the news. So I think, I think that everyone's aware And um, I mean, I know I'm not going to give out like personal information, but some of my students lost family members due to the virus. So at this point, I think everyone is aware of the craziness. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My last question is, how have you been supported through this? Are you, do you feel that 
your mental health is being taken into consideration? Um, yeah, I honestly have to say that I'm so blessed to be a part of my school. Um, they are amazing. We have so many teachers. So my school actually goes up, it goes from kindergarten to eighth grade. So we have a lot more teachers than the normal um, general, general education public school, mm-hmm. uh, elementary school, I'm sorry. So we have about 75 teachers in my school. And these teachers are so amazing. We have one person that does like a baking class for us once a week. We get on Zoom, we get the ingredients and we bake together. I have another teacher that does yoga every week. We can go live on Zoom and we're following his yoga moves. So I am just so happy and grateful that we were able to step back a little bit and think about ourselves and have these little things just for us. Today we're actually having a five o'clock it's five o'clock somewhere teacher party so we're getting on yeah we're getting on zoom in like an hour and we're gonna be playing games and like we're gonna drink we get to bring like wine whatever so (laughs) it's it's really been great for that we've been able to do that for each other so oh and oh my god I totally forgot to mention this do you know the show Masked Singer yeah I do I am obsessed with this show and my school there some genius teachers came up with the idea that we actually host mass singer with the teachers and send it out to the kids and they can vote for us. So, so 20 of us, um, we found like masks around our house and we like gave ourselves names and we perform and every week and we record ourselves and we post it and it's a competition. The students are voting for us. We have to reveal ourselves if we lose. And that has been the highlight of this whole quarantine for me because I'm like looking up TikTok videos and like so competitive. I have to win. It's just been great. So I can honestly say my school, my district, they've been very supportive with making sure that we still take care of ourselves and be able to wind down. So yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much for being a part of this interview. Uh, so good. Um, I just want to say, like, thank you for being a teacher. I think a lot of the times people are so wrapped up in their own lives that they forget that you're trying to do your job and you're trying to better the future generations. Mm-hmm. And I think this has also taught a lot of parents too that to see the value of teachers and absolutely talked right. about in my podcast was before this was how teachers especially public education teachers are so underpaid compared to what they're actually doing yep and just like bringing up the problem with that and I think that although this is such a bad situation maybe this can show the world and especially our government that our teachers are so valuable to our society totally agree Totally, totally agree. I've got, I get emails all the time from the parents just thanking us for all that we do because they're literally seeing what we have to deal with every single day. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, so it is eye-opening. And I do think, you know, even though the situation was not pleasant, at least one good thing came out of it. And it's the recognition of not only teachers, but, you know, all the essential workers, how valuable we are. And yeah, I think it's great. Once again, that was Amanda Martinez. She is an amazing teacher and she's really doing great things and really trying to uplift people and especially her students during this time. Now we're going to switch gears to a high school teacher who is also teaching during this pandemic 
and we're going to hear a little bit about her perspective on how the transition has been for herself and her school. She is also a mother, so hopefully we'll hear a little bit about that too. Can you first introduce yourself? What grade do you teach? What is your position and where? Sure. Thanks for asking. I am a dean of faculty at a private school in Massachusetts, and I also teach 11th and 12th grade English. What do you, how was the transition and what did it look like for your school and how much were you involved as the dean of faculty? Um, the transition was both chaotic and smooth at the same time to distance learning. Um, Our students went away on spring break and during the time, the two weeks that they were on vacation, it became clear that we would not be able to have students return to campus due to how quickly things were escalating with the COVID-19 situation. We did some planning as an administrative team over the vacation and then we had about a week where we extended spring break and we did training with faculty Um, and I was very involved closely involved with that as Dean of Faculty helping to implement and oversee the steps that we needed to take to get up and running. Since you are the Dean of Faculty do you think it's been easier for you to relate to other teachers since you yourself have both of these positions? Absolutely Um, and actually I was on a a Zoom webinar this afternoon with about 600 participants from other boarding schools because we're constantly sharing information about how um, distance learning is going at our schools and how can we make it better and um, what solutions are people coming up with and sharing resources and things like that. And on that Zoom call, the facilitator said, okay, now we're going to break, go into these breakout rooms and you're going to have about 25 minutes to talk about these prompt questions. And so I felt like a student in that moment. And then all of a sudden, the facilitators couldn't get the breakout rooms to work for the 600 participants. And there were a lot of comments in the chat bar of like, this is a really good reminder of what happens to teachers on a daily and weekly basis when you might have a tech fail or something you had planned for your virtual class doesn't go the way you thought and you have to quickly switch gears. Um, So that's just one example of how everyone around the world is adjusting to this new platform and is having failures and having to try, you know, different approaches. For me, I feel like it's really important as a Dean of Faculty that I'm also a teacher because then I can really intimately know what are the struggles and potential successes as well that um, the teachers at my school might be having. Can you elaborate a little bit more on some of the challenges that you yourself have faced within your classes? Sure. You know, at my school, we're a boarding and day school. So our boarding students have had to return home all over the world. And some of them are with host families. Some of them can't be with their families at this time. But we're dealing with multiple time zones um, across the globe. And so that's been a big challenge. We also have tech access issues that might be challenging for some of our students, whether it's a spotty internet connection or depending on which country they might be living and studying from at the moment, they might not have access to all of the technology platforms that we use at an American school. And on top of that, those are some of the logistical challenges. And then as teachers, 
we're really aware that our students are undergoing varying levels of stress and even trauma are related to the situation right now. You know, our seniors don't yet know what the fall college is going to look like for them. Some of our students have been personally affected by COVID-19 losses in their families. Um, students live in different countries with different scenarios. Some of our young students have returned home to countries and have had to quarantine by themselves for a week or two um, before they can return to their families. So we're just really aware that both teachers and students are facing some really unusual and really challenging situations. And it means that we have to be really flexible. You know, sometimes you go to class and a student has a younger sibling in the room with them, or they might live in a crowded apartment with other family members, or there's four kids in the family and everybody is doing distance learning and sucking the Wi-Fi at the same time while the parents are working. So there's just so many unique challenges right now. Since you've kind of touched on mental health, how is your school or you personally, how are you supporting teachers with their mental health? It's something we've been talking about a lot. Um, some of it, you know, we definitely tried to address through teacher training that when teachers feel armed with the knowledge of how to implement a new learning platform, they're going to feel less stressed because they feel more competent and more in control of their learning platform. So a lot of that is just happening kind of organically at my school where teachers are sharing resources and troubleshooting and supporting each other through the new academic learning situations. Our school counselor has also offered to um, be a resource to teachers, not with personal mental health issues, because that's not the role of a school counselor, but with, um, you know, just talking about the general challenges that we are teachers as teachers are facing and how to support students who may also be um, facing challenges. Mm -hmm and our head of school and department chairs and um, the whole administrative team has been very much available to um, support teachers in any issues they might be having in trying to do their job as best as they can. You mentioned that um, you teach 11th and 12th grade English. So do you find that there are similarities and differences between the grades and motivation levels? And how do you kind of keep those motivation levels up since you're not with the students? Yeah, that's a great question. It's something that we as teachers are talking about a lot. Um, I, I have noticed a difference between my 11th and 12th graders. I'm not with the younger grades right now. Um, so I can't speak with personal knowledge about how those younger grades are doing. But um, with 12th graders, you know, typically as a teacher, you do expect what some people might call a little bit of senioritis, or sometimes people call it the senior slump, or once students find out that they're into college, you know, maybe their motivation drops a little bit. But when that's in a normal situation, it's also spring and we're all on campus and we have so many fun activities and we have so many end of year festivities to look forward to that that really keeps everyone so engaged in the community spirit. Um, and that's a piece that I think has been really hard for our seniors because not only are they facing the uncertainty of like, 
what exactly is my college experience going to look like in the fall, even though they're so excited and proud of their acceptances. Um, but they're the class that really also has to face, you know, right now we can't have an in-person graduation. Things are going to look differently. Um, all of the traditions that we've been looking forward to for, you know, three, four, five, six years are going to look and feel different this spring. And we definitely want to make those traditions as special and celebratory as we can from afar and celebrate our seniors in person whenever we can. But, um, yeah, it's, I think it's the biggest toll has been on the senior class. Um, so thinking about that from a teaching perspective, um, yeah, there's just, there's just so many things that are really hard about it right now because, again, during a normal face-to-face -face teaching period, um, you know, our expectations are very clear, our homework policies are very clear, our assessments are very clear, we're all on the same page. Um, and in this new situation, I think as a teacher, I feel, it feels very clear to me that I need to meet my students where they are right now, which requires a lot of flexibility from my part as a teacher. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very different. I'm definitely feeling the loss of the the in-person contact with my students, which is what I like the best. That's where I thrive as a teacher is, yeah. you know, in-person discussion and all of the excitement that takes place in the classroom. Since that motivation is kind of lacking from seniors especially, do you ever find yourself getting frustrated and how do you kind of cope with that and try to remind yourself that this, like, as you said, that, that you just need to meet the students where they are? Um, one thing I do is I really rely on my colleagues a lot. So um, the other English teachers and I frequently check in with each other um, using a lot of these new virtual tools. So, you know, we have um, open chats every day and my department chair and I check in frequently about our students and um, each, each time, if I feel a little bit down about something, mm -hmm. you know, for me as a teacher, I usually sort of wallow in it, feel frustrated, and then either pick myself back up or rely on one of my colleagues to be like, hey, try this or try this or here's something cool that I'm doing. Or, you know, a lot of my colleagues are, are using um, different tech tools that maybe I haven't tried yet that I could try or... Um, you know, just mixing things up in ways that maybe I haven't thought of myself yet. So um, I do try to, to arm myself each class with like a little bit of like, okay, maybe I'm going to do things just a little bit differently this time. Can you do, explain the International Baccalaureate Program a little bit and how you think juniors will be affected now that they have had a whole term without in-person instruction? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. It's definitely something that our IB teachers are wondering about at our school. So we are an IB world school. We offer the diploma program to juniors and seniors. Um, those who elect to take the full diploma program are, um, are taking six IB courses plus some additional IB requirements like a theory of knowledge course that ties everything together an extended essay, which is a very independent, um, researched and lengthy essay that students write. 
Um, and they also have a creativity activity and service requirement called CAS. Um, and students can also take IB courses for certificate credit, similarly to what you might take an AP class for just an AP um, certificate. So the IB does have um, a lot of curricular and assessment requirements. Um, for juniors in my English class, um, none of that has been challenging for us because in English we can continue with the main work that we do in an IB English class. We're reading, we're writing, we're making connections, um, and we're advancing through the curriculum without any problems. Mm -hmm. um, I think in like a lab science course, that's very different. You know, what does a lab science look like when you're not able to be in the lab doing your labs with your own hands? And of course, they're replicating and doing virtual labs and lots of other things that are still building that content knowledge base. Um, but there are some components that I don't feel like I understand yet. Um, whether the IB will make adjustments to the curriculum and the requirements or or whether in all of the subjects we'll, we will be able to cover um, those requirements or make up for them in this time that we've had distance learning. The IB does offer online courses. So while we as a school have never had online courses before, um, that's something that I've wondered about, you know, how, how much online coursework does the IB already offer that maybe I just don't know about yet. So kind of switching gears a little bit, uh, you have a different perspective as a parent. How has having this coronavirus come, how has that affected your children and how have you seen it? Like, how do you balance that life between being a teacher and supporting the students and also supporting your children who also are going through a difficult time as well. Thank you for asking that, Nikki. It's really hard. And I'm sure that any person you've talked to in this situation, I'm sure you're aware of that it is really hard. I have a fourth grader and a sixth grader. Mm -hmm. um, they are in public elementary school. I really admire how their teachers are handling it. Um, their teachers are very engaged with them. That's not true of all school districts in America right now. I feel incredibly lucky that my kids have the tech access. They have, um, you know, they go to a smaller school where I think it's been easier for, for the teachers to implement their distance learning program. They have to be pretty self-directed right now because honestly, I'm not very involved in what they're doing on a day-to-day -day level because of my own work. And I'm very aware as an employee of my school that I have such a responsibility to my job right now that while I can pop in and out and check in on my kids and what time is your meet and are you doing your homework? And I am not a homeschooling parent right now. I cannot claim that title that a lot of other parents are struggling to really oversee and implement their children's whole school curriculum. That's not happening for me. And also probably because my kids are a little bit older. If they were younger, it would be much more difficult. Um, but it has given me some good perspective, like my sixth grader is not going to have her sixth grade graduation this year. You know, she's going to a different school next year, just like my seniors are. And so she's missing right now her last few months 
with her classmates that she's been in school with since preschool and she's missing the end of year traditions and the, you know, sixth grade class trip to New York city and the graduation and all of that. So it, it is giving me a lot of firsthand empathy for understanding just on a, on a much smaller scale, what some of my um, juniors and seniors might be feeling in my own teaching. If this continues to next year as both a parent and as your job as a teacher or faculty, how do you see yourself preparing for that either mentally and or like physically? Yeah, um, I would definitely want to do some more training over the summer. And I think we would definitely do that for our teachers. We've already done a lot of great tech training and training for distance learning teachers, but I would want to do a deeper dive into that over the summer and really think about, um, you know, if this were to have to continue or if it came back and we, you know, had to move into another period of distance learning, um, what would be different if we went into that in a planned way versus implementing it under duress as we did this spring in one week? Um, so without a doubt, I know that I would think deeply about, you know, what would I change? And, you know, our students left over spring break, many of them without their school books, um, without their computers, you know, so we would really be thinking about how do we plan to um, make everything feel more equitable and um, more easily facilitated for all of our students that we can really provide you know, the best experience for all of our students in a very planned way. Yeah. Oh, and mentally, um, I haven't even gotten there yet because I miss work and I miss my students so much that I don't like to think, you know, what if I couldn't go back to school? I love being in the dining hall every day and hearing the chatter of the kids and walking around campus and having students pop their heads into my office or listen to them, you know, roam the hallways looking for candy or whatever. Like, I just miss that so much that I can't even yet conceptualize, you know, what if I couldn't be back at work for a longer period? It'd be such a bummer. It really would. You have so many big roles. You're a mother, you're a dean of faculty, and you're also a teacher how have you been supported and whether that be your school or your family? That's another great question. Definitely, you know, as an administrator, we really rely on the administrative team. So I work very closely with my colleagues who are deans and we have, you know, almost daily meetings as a dean's team. My head of school is incredibly supportive. I'm having lots of meetings and check-ins with her. So definitely, and, and then my English department as well, the colleague support is 100% there. And it's, you know, as you probably know from just being a student and a friend, um, everybody takes turns lifting each other up. You know, if I'm having a hard day trying to wrestle with a problem, there's somebody there to prop me up. And then I play that role for someone the next day when, when they need it. Um, and in my own family, um, you know, my husband is going to work five days a week. So he's busy with his own work. I'm busy with my work. We're all a little bit stretched thin. I definitely have, you know, family members and friends that I rely on for my happy calls and my, 
you know, fun and funny, just let's laugh because things are so ridiculous that all you can do is laugh. And then, um, I recently sprained my ankle, so I'm on crutches, which is just like adding insult to injury right now. But my kids are being very helpful. They're fetching me lots of tea. They're carrying my dishes around for me. And, um, yeah, it's definitely a time to rely on the support systems that all of us hopefully have to access. And I think it's so easy to just, as children, to rely on your parents so much and really use them as a support system through this time. So how do you think children can also help be a support to their parents? Mm. There's a lot being written about this right now. You know, as a parent, I read a lot of articles about child development and child psychology, and a lot is being written about how to help nurture children through uncertainty. And one of the key pieces of advice that comes from child psychologists is like, give them some things that they can really um, feel in control of or play a role in. So I think a lot of parents are doing increased kind of responsibilities or independence in the home right now. Like in my house, we've started some gardening projects that we've never done before. So the kids are watering the plants and they're planting and they're taking care of things. And um, they've also gained some increased independence, especially right now, because I'm injured, I'm on crutches, I'm not out being active like I normally am. So it's kind of like, go on, be free range kids, like get on your bikes, go out. And that feels really good to me as a parent that ironically, there are some, I guess not ironically, it's it's a natural part of like school is taken away from them. And so they're kind of being given other opportunities. It's, you know, how they say like boredom is good for kids, like get bored because then it motivates you to do stuff and figure things out. Um, and there's a lot of that happening in my house right now, which is good. Mm-hmm. Even though the biggest, the biggest thing they're missing is seeing friends. And I'm sure that's hard for you too. Like it's so hard to not have the opportunity to be social and play. Um, that was my last question. And I just want to say thank you so much, one, for being a part of this, but also as your student, like I can attest to the fact that you're doing a great job. And I know that it's really hard with the seniors right now because it's very obvious that our motivation is low, but we definitely really, truly appreciate you. And although it might seem as seniors, especially that we've kind of like checked out of, we still really care about you guys. And We really appreciate everything that you're doing for us right now. Oh, Nikki, I appreciate hearing that so much. And, um, you know, I really miss you guys. And and I, I get it. Things are challenging for all of us. And right now, you know, kind of my mantra is like, we're all doing the best we can with what we have right now. There it is. Amanda Martinez and Chandrette, who are both incredible teachers and incredible people, who I really appreciate them coming and being a part of my podcast and sharing their experiences. Before I click off, I just want to say that students, tell your teachers how much you appreciate them. I never realized how much teachers needed that until I had these conversations with these two amazing women. They need to hear it because validation is good. And they need to know that they're doing a good job. And it's hard for them right now, as it is for us as well. We're all just trying to get through. 
your teachers need support too and let them know that you love them and you appreciate them and that they're you know that they're doing the best that they can be i hope you guys are staying safe and doing well thank you so much for tuning in if you got this far i'm pretty proud of you this is pretty long thank you so much bye